Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 859. I waited for three hours, listening to the sounds of the camp. Muted conversation drifted toward me. Shapes of sentences with no individual words. They faded, mixing with cursing and sounds of people being ill. I took long, slow breaths as Vachette had shown me, relaxing my body, slowly counting my exhalations. Then, opening my eyes, I looked at the stars and judged the time to be right. I slowly unfolded myself from my sitting position and made a long, slow stretch. There was a solid crescent of moon hanging in the sky, and everything seemed very bright. I approached the campfire slowly. It had fallen to sullen coals that did little to light the space between the two wagons. Otto was there, his huge body slumped against one of the wheels. I smelled vomit. Is that you, Kvoth? he asked blurrily. Yes, I continued my slow walk toward him. That bitch Anne didn't let the lamb cook through, he moaned. I swear to holy God, I've never been this sick before. He looked up at me. Are you all right? Cesara leapt, caught the moonlight briefly on her blade, and tore his throat. He staggered to one knee, then toppled to his side, his hands staining black as they clutched his neck. I left him bleeding darkly in the moonlight, unable to cry out. Dying, but not dead. I tossed a piece of brittle iron into the coals of the fire and headed toward the other tents. Lauren startled me as I came around the wagon. He made a surprise noise as he saw me walk around the corner with my naked sword. But the poison had made him sluggish, and he had barely managed to raise his hand before Caesura took him in the chest. He choked a scream as he fell backward, writhing on the ground. None of them had been sleeping soundly due to the poison. So Lauren's cry set them pouring from the wagons and tents, staggering and looking around wildly, two indistinct shapes that I knew must be Josh and Fren leapt from the open back of the wagon closest to me. I struck one in the eye before he hit the ground and tore the belly from the other. Everyone saw, and now there were screams in earnest. Most of them began to run drunkenly into the trees, some falling as they went. But the tall shape of Tim hurled itself at me. The heavy sword he had been sharpening all evening glinted silver in the moonlight. But I was ready. I slid a second long, brittle piece of sword iron into my hand and muttered a binding. Then, just as he came close to strike, I snapped the iron sharply between my fingers. His sword shattered with the end of the page. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy, and this is just very satisfying. These people deserve it. They deserve it. 
They deserve not only to die, but they deserve to suffer. And Quoth is going to make them suffer. And that is correct. You know what's really funny? <laughs> is I was thinking this is really inefficient. Yeah, it is. It is and it isn't, but that is kind of part of the point. If Quoth is thinking tactically, I think what he's thinking is, I don't need to kill them all right away. I need to incapacitate as many of them as quickly as possible so that then I can finish them off later. You know, like yeah. if you stab someone in the gut, they're not going to like put up a fight. They're not going to like be able to run away very fast or very far, but they're not going to die right away. But that, does, that doesn't matter. They're like, they're going to be down. They're going to be in pain. They're not going to be a threat and you can go and deal with somebody else, I think is his yeah. attitude. The vengeance of this scene is is very entertaining like as a reader it is interesting to read and therefore makes a lot of sense but because i'm not an interesting person <laughs> like i feel like it's a bit much <laughs> like if i if i saw a problem like this which it is like it is a problem you've got these people pretending to be someone they're not and they're also on top of that mistreating these other people you need to solve that problem and yes in this case the 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 way to solve that problem the fastest would be to just murder them but do i think he needs to murder them in this terrible painful way no i think it would be far more efficient just to get them all in the head or something so it's nice and quick and they don't have to suffer and it's just good but he wants them to suffer. It probably would be, but I think Jeremy has the right of it. I think he does want them to suffer. I know. I know. <laughs> but also, also, that's a good insight into Quoth. But yeah, haven't you ever wanted someone to suffer? Only one person. Only ever one. These people are... He's not you, Jordana. So, you know, he he is, I think, reveling in it in a, to an extent. I think this is this is justice. This is his motivation these people stand in not just for the abusers that they are, but also for his abusers, for the people that killed his family. They are uh, besmirching the name. They are imitating his family and they are besmirching the good name of his family and his people. He's also, and I think this is part of why this is so satisfying, he is getting to flex his new skills and we get to see him flex those skills combined with his old skills because he is also uh, tossing in his sympathy into this. Yeah, the same trick he was going to use on Dayton, I think. Uh, he was going to use it on Vashit, I think, right? Definitely on Dayton at one point. We talked about it. We were like, why did he have that? And then a listener wrote into, yeah, I think you're right. It was Beta. It was Dayton. But, uh, you know, it's a great, it's like a badass moment. I can see how they would shoot this as he walks by and just like tosses something in. It's like, uh, it reminds me of in John Wick 4 when. Um, Whoa, spoilers. Spoilers for John Wick 4, which well, I It's not seen. really a spoiler. It's like there's a cool there's a cool set piece where Donnie Yen like is sort of preparing a battlefield for himself. And so he puts these he puts these like devices at, on different surfaces, and then it transpires that the devices are motion sensors that like make a little noise when someone walks by. It's just like a cool little moment of preparation. I don't know. I love preparation in an, in an action sequence. I love to see that payoff. So this is very, very satisfying. It's it's not a moment of preparation, but I was. It is the kind of moment that if I saw it in a movie, I would go Hur! in the in the raid uh, redemption when he like has a guy in a doorway and he grabs him by the neck and jumps backwards through the through the doorway that has a broken door in it and like impales the guy's neck on the shards of broken door. One of the gnarliest kills in any movie I've ever seen. This, this is similar. Yeah, well, it's similar because it's a payoff, right? We see him toss the iron into the fire and then it pays off when he uses it to break the sword. Mm -hmm. Okay, but, and this is like, 
vague theorizing, I suppose. Could we use this as proof for like Quoth's sort of like darker side? Like this? Yeah, absolutely. I definitely think so. Completely. Yeah. Okay. Good. That that's kind of what I was getting at. Was like he's not doing the efficient thing. He's doing the vengeful, kind of scary thing. No, he's not doing like he's not like he's not like a surgeon here. He's not like sadly these people must be euthanized, and so I will you know put them to sleep and humanely dispatch them. He's stalking them like an like a like a hunter. In fact. That's what happens on the next page as the the survivors escape into the woods and he spends the night hunting them. He hunts them down and murders them all. Yeah, that's yeah. that's that's the thing. We are totally on board. As Nick has been pointing out for like, you know, many, many episodes now, when he does this, we are nodding along going like, yes, yes. get their asses. Oh, yes. <laughs> I think it is also a profoundly Kvothi move and in line with the way he has, like his, his legend has shaken out that he has stacked the deck here. Mm-hmm. He's, you know... They're not in fighting shape. They're all poisoned with like... Yeah, they're shitting their guts out when our hero does it. Yeah, obviously fight dirty because there's like 20 of them and like you're one guy. And then if the bad guy does it, we go, ooh, what a dastardly trick, you yeah, bad It's only bad okay man. when the hero does it. <laughs> well, this is also verisimilitudinous because if you, you know, study any measure of like real world tactics, you will know that you know, to seize any advantage that you can is... is uh, you know, standard practice. It's why the police always respond with overwhelming force. Yes, the idea of a fair fight is absurd. Absolutely absurd. If you are in a fight for your life, you do whatever you need to do to win the fight. Precisely. And Quoth has clearly <laughs> internalized that. Or, you know, if you're an avenging angel of death, wreaking justice upon those who have wronged you and your family. Uh, and he, he, he really is that here. I appreciate this too, because Rothfuss does describe cruel and appalling acts of violence, but he doesn't linger on it. Most of it is left to our imaginations. You know, I struck one in the eye before he hit the ground and tore the belly from the other. You can imagine exactly what that entails without Rothfuss having to say, I saw the slick, wet ropes of his intestines spill out onto the into the grass. I'm not saying that that's like a bad creative choice. I often like it when things are described that grossly, and I think you can achieve a different kind of effect. But I think that what Rothfuss is trying to communicate here is the kind of ruthless efficiency with, with which Quoth is going. Like he's not stopping to deal with any one person. He is swiftly incapacitating as many people as he can, as fast as he can, so that he can be sure that he's got them all. I also think that there's a pacing element to that choice. I think that when an author stops to linger on how gruesome something is, it sort of indicates that the point of view character is doing the same like they are spending the time to take it in and and see those details and i read it as you know quoth isn't lingering on those details because he doesn't have time to he's his attention is elsewhere and also like he is disassociating a little bit oh no doubt which i think that honestly you kind of have to do if you're going to do this kind of appalling violence to people like you you can't really think about it in the moment he does a ritual he does a pre-violence ritual and we didn't see this part of his tutelage but i bet you that that's part of it is like if you know you must fight then like and like kill in this way he is berserker but he did not spend an evening farting around a campfire or uh, doing magic mushrooms or anything that's a shout out for all you uh, the northman fans out there yeah solid movie I also appreciate how, like, kind of pathetic most of the bandits are. Like, the one guy just like, oh, I'm shitting my guts out, man. How are you feeling? Stab! And then, you know, the other guy, like, comes out like, hey, what's going on? Stab! They're they're, they're real chumps. 
<laughs> it feels a lot like a video game when you're like sneaking into somewhere and then the, you just gotta kill the first guys you see and they don't really see it coming because they're NPCs. What was that noise? Oh, it was nothing. Yes, exactly. Probably nothing. <laughs> yeah, probably nothing. And then they walk away and then you stab them. <laughs> yeah, throw pebble. Why is that cardboard box moving around? <laughs> Must it, It's fine. It's just a cardboard box. <laughs> no, nothing strange about it moving around. Uh, so as I alluded to yesterday, we do have a letter. Mail. This is from Grace, the Wolf of Jersey, who writes, On listening, Aury, and a hopeless romantic. Hello, pagers. I am finally almost caught up, but am low-key sad, thinking about what I will do with my time once I am. Two things. One, Aury is a listener. I was waiting to write this letter because I thought someone else would point it out, but the way the old man outside of the cave speaks to objects is very similar to Aury. The way he understands how they feel and why they are upset is a lot like how Auri interacts with everything in the slow regard. Auri is totes a modern listener. Second, you guys talk a lot about how you feel like Froth doesn't know he's into Dena or hasn't yet had an awakening of sorts to how attracted to her he is or want to act on it. From how unreliable of a narrator Froth has been thus far, I wanted to add my two cents for how I see it. Froth is told by his friends at the university that it's obvious he's into her and it's obvious Dena is into him. Quoth repeatedly shakes it off, saying, nah, he doesn't see her like that, or she can't see him like that, and then internally monologues how he treats her differently on purpose so as not to scare her away. I read Quoth as the guy who just won't admit he's into the girl because once he admits it, he's got to face it, and then it will come to a head of some sort because he's spoken about it. Our little insecure Quoth is too scared to act on his feelings, unsure if Denna will return them or get skittish, so of course he denies he's into her. Very typical teenage behavior, I feel. Who among us didn't lie through their teeth about being hopelessly in love with a friend, too nervous to let the universe know how badly we want it? Best, signed, Grace from Jersey. Yeah, deeply relatable. I think that's an aspect to it. I almost wonder if part of why he won't admit to himself how he feels about her is that, I don't know, maybe this is maybe this is reaching too much, but like to add a sexual component would be to somehow dirty her, like to admit that there's like, a sexual attraction beyond simply this like she's so magical she has such a command over me this like ephemeral uh, almost worship of it but to make it anything as base as like a sexual attraction and that's part of why I think there's something complicated going on in the way Quoth starts to approach his his sexual partners post Valerian because I think that there is a difference between the kind of like he certainly he seems to treat them respectfully and all, but there's a difference between the sort of base attraction that he feels with his various partners and the elevated attraction he feels toward Denna. And I think that he doesn't want to approach it as a romantic relationship because that might serve to make it more mundane. I don't think there's anything to that particularly, except that he's in love with Denna and the others are just fun, casual sex. But I do think that he has like a Madonna whore complex about Denna. He puts her up on a pedestal. She is, you know, this special, rare, wonderful being. He can't even conceive of being worthy to be in her presence. How could a girl like her ever love a beast like him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, there's a part of him that's like deeply resentful of the fact that she does sex work. And he like can't quite square that mm, circle. Yeah, that, that scans. Reasonable. What do you guys think about what this letter had to say about Auri? Very interesting. 
Yes, very interesting. I think that you're absolutely right that there's an equivalence between the old man listening to the objects and uh, Auri. But I think there's so many like moving parts around the other parts of magic that it's so hard to identify like what exactly she is supposed to be. I don't think we're supposed to know that yet. But I don't think we're ever going to know that. Yeah, we'll see. I do think the nature of the creation war will become more clear, but uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, I think uh, that's hard to dispute. So we won't even bother trying until tomorrow's page. Uh, <laughs> the wind. wind.